this month we've been talking about uh, this is my story, and and this is this has been very exciting and interesting, and and to hear um, people's story. Uh, I entitled mine uh, a little fear and trembling, um, which is. Maybe unusual, but I know that sometimes in, in the Western church, in an American church, we, we definitely like to focus on, on the blessing and, and the dreams that God has for us and all those things, and those are awesome, and, and we should focus on those. But the Bible is very clear that there are challenges um, and that this is a process, and it is not necessarily an easy one, and anytime you go before a holy God, there should be fear and trembling involved. And so um, we're gonna talk a little bit about my story today, uh, how I ended up here. Uh, how I ended up uh, you know, remaining in the faith um, as I have. So this thing works, that's good. All right, so I used to think that my story was boring as it could be. Like, you know, you hear these incredible testimonies of of drug addicts and, uh, and alcoholics and, and people that were abused or abandoned and they have this incredible conversion experience and you're like, man, that is an awesome testimony. It's so inspiring. Um, and so I used to be like, oh, my, my testimony is kind of boring. Well, I do not think that anymore. I think my testimony is freaking awesome um, because I didn't have any of that. I had, and you know, and, and it's my hope that my kids have a boring testimony and that their kids, kids, and their kids, kids, you know, just that it continues that we have boring testimonies to share because the boring testimonies um, are the most awesome ones. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I didn't need these things last time I did this, but, uh, but I do now. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home with awesome parents. My parents are over here um, supporting me as they always have my entire life. Um, they're amazing parents. If you think about your parents, there's about a 99% chance that my parents are better than your parents. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is, uh, you know, and so that's, it's just, just true. Um, you know, and also, I, we attended church. I, I grew up, I went to First Baptist Church of Longwood for all of my formative years, my childhood and adolescence and into college. A great church. Never hear me say anything bad about the Baptist church. I love it, um, and I loved that church, and, and it was awesome. I do think that we have a tendency to confuse church attendance with being a Christian, and those two things are not the same thing. Uh, my childhood pastor used to say, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. And so this is, this is a confusion that we sometimes have. However, church attendance is an important part of uh, being a part of a local body of believers is certainly an important part of, of that. So this is my story. This is, this is actually, it's not my story. It's a, it's a few stories. And it, it kind of, and it directs providentially how I ended up where I am today. So also, if you know about me, normally I like to uh, do like more of an expository teaching where we dive into the scripture and we break those, those, those points down point by point and let the passage make the points. Well, since this is like a testimony type week, we're not really gonna be doing that, but I do have a, a scripture. It's Philippians 2, 8 through 13. Um, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and, ev and of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.' 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Um, we're not gonna break down and, and the, the scripture, but I just want you to, to dwell on it. I just want you to think about it as I talk about my story, uh, hopefully as you uh, contemplate your own story. Um, you know, fear and trembling is, is, is a part of our journey. You know, I, especially when I, I can't even quite figure out how to be the husband I need to be or the father that I need to be or the friend or the employee or all the things that I need to be. How in the world am I supposed to be the man of God that I'm supposed to be, the, the, the holy man of God that God expects and demands? How do we do that? Um, how do we get there? So let me pray and we will get rolling. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you exalted your son's name above every name so that we might come to know him. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to continue to believe, to continue to move forward and continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. God, I pray that you would communicate what you would want, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, I was raised in a... uh, in a Baptist church, and in particular a Southern Baptist church. So that means if you've ever been to a Baptist church, then you know I have to use alliteration to make my point. So one of my points, my kind of the, my topic or thing today kind of flows around faith, family, fellowship, and fathering. I had a whole bunch of other F words to put up there too, but I didn't. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> um, so anyway, so that, that's something you gotta do. And then also... Uh, kind of a typical sermonette sort of teaching ideology is you make uh, three points in a poem. So that's how you convey your your point. Well, today I'm doing four poems in a point. So I'm just radical in every way. Um, So I basically, I'm just telling a few stories and how God providentially worked through those in my life. So the first title of the story of my first story is Stupid Kids and One Hero. Um, I didn't, I haven't titled these my whole life. I just did it for this. So if you think I'm like subplotting my entire life, that's not what's happening. Um, But so basically when I was a little kid, eight or nine years old, I don't remember exactly how old I was. And my brother, he's right over there. He's two and a half years older than me. Um, You know, we had neighbors that were basically the same, uh, the same age. And so I had one that was my age and he had a a neighbor that was his age. And um, pretty much most of the bad things in my life, I blame on them. Um, But... So we were out in the woods playing, and I know kids don't play in the woods anymore, but we did. We we were out in the woods, we were exploring, we were looking for uh, the Goonies treasure and those kind of things, and playing hide and seek and and war and whatever it is that we did. And so we're playing, and we're playing by this creek that flows through our neighborhood. Um, My parents still live in that neighborhood, and, and it's flowing through there. And we're playing around, we're doing these things, and all of a sudden, these two much older kids <clears throat> came across, or they, they're across the creek, their house backed up to it, and they start yelling at us. They're like, get out of here, this is our property, you're not allowed to be here. Well, we happen to know that it wasn't their property. And since we had this chasm of a creek between us, we started smarting off to them. And so we were like, no, it's not your property. And it wasn't his property. So like, it's not your property. This guy's name was Frank Zabel. What kind of name is that? Are we trying to raise serial killers here? But anyway, he's like, He's like, get out of here. This is, this, is, this is our property. You get out of here. And we're like, this is not your property. You shut up. And so he leaves and goes back to his house. And we're like, yeah, get out of here. So he and a friend come back with axes. 
And so they go to a very narrow part of a creek of which I was unfamiliar and they throw the ax across the creek and jump across and they start chasing us. And now we're freaking out. Me and the younger friend, we are terrified. We turn to run. Certainly our older brothers will be there to save us. No, they are gone. Uh, They are running. I just see them getting smaller as time goes on. And so so we start running. So I start running and, uh, and, and Zabel, they're bigger kids. They start, they gain us. They start gaining on us and we know that they're getting closer and it's just about to be over. My friend and I would just fall to the side and we just close our eyes knowing that this is the end of our life and that all is over. And so to my great surprise, they keep running. They're running after the older kids. I guess they had a taste for older flesh. And so so now we start chasing them. They're chasing my brother and his friend and we're chasing them. And we all have one destination in mind as that is to get home. So we go, and as soon as we get home, as soon as we get in this, the shot of uh, eyesight of our house, we start screaming and we start yelling. And we're yelling for my dad. We're yelling, dad, dad, come. And as soon as my dad heard, as soon as he could hear, because these were, these were real screams. These were, not, these were not normal eight-year-old screams. These were like, it's gonna be over in a minute screams. And so we're terrified. And as soon as my dad hear, heard, he came running. He came running out towards us and Frank Zabel saw him and turned and ran like the wind away and the day was over and the hero had saved us. <clears throat> so thank you. <laughs> That's my dad. <laughs> um, so as I've looked back at that story, there's two cor- sort of things that I think about. One is it's very unlikely that Frank Zabel was gonna chop us up. I mean, you have to be pretty psycho to do that. And, and I haven't heard anything about him being a serial killer or anything like that. So I'm pretty sure that wasn't gonna happen. But the other thing that I, that I learned and that I know is that if I'm in trouble, if I'm in a dark place and I'm afraid and I call out, my dad will come running. And so that's story number one. Story number two, don't mess with my grandmother. Um, so I have a great privilege of having quite a legacy of faith on both sides of my family, my mom and my dad, both of them. They're from, you know, the Bible Belt in South Alabama. And, uh, and we have people of faith, um, you know, that, that led the way. And my grandmother was such a person. Um, she was a very sweet lady, um, and, but she had a very, very challenging life. Um, I'm not gonna go into that detail because that's her story, but from when she was very young to when she was old, it was a, it was a struggle the entire way. One example is she grew up in the Great Depression and that was by far the least of her challenges. And so she had, she had struggle. But nevertheless, as she was older, <clears throat> she was quite a saint. She took care of people. If people were hungry, uh, she would feed them widows. She would bring them food. She would, she would do all these things. And, and she was quite a sweet lady to, despite her, um, her struggles. So some, I need some old Christians. Who is this guy? Jimmy Swagger, thank you. Um, Jimmy Swaggart was a, uh, a televangelist in the 80s, 70s and 80s, one of the early guys to, to leverage the television um, to, to, to do his ministry. And I hated Jimmy Swaggart. I, I despised him. Um, uh, he was one of the early prosperity gospel guys. And, and I, um, my good friend pointed out that I might have a misplaced anger towards prosperity gospel teachers, which might be true, and this might be the root of that. Um, but, uh, but I despised him. And the reason was is because I believed that he used the TV to reach out to older, lonely people and they would send him their, their money. And my grandmother was such a person. She sent him money and, uh, and she didn't have a lot of money. So... It was kind of a big deal and it just made me angry. 
So I was, whatever my 12-year-old rage could, whenever I thought about it, it happened. So then, much to my delight, he fell in a great scandal with prostitutes and, and all these things. And um, as a matter of fact, one of the prostitutes was missing, which I don't know what that means. But, um, but anyway, so it was, a, it was a great scandal and I was full of joy. I, was, I actually took, I was excited at this man's downfall <clears throat> um, because certainly now my grandmother would not give him anything else. Not that long later, he came out in the greatest cryingest, snottiest repentance I've ever seen on TV. I mean, he was, he was just crying his eyes out and repented and begged for everybody's forgiveness and talked about how wrong he was. And of course, my young heart was like, no way, you old scumbucket. I am not gonna forgive you. I hate you. And, uh, and so, again, I just assumed this was over. No big deal. But just to check, I checked in with my parents a little while later and I was like, is it safe to assume that grandmother's not giving money to this idiot anymore? And they're like, no, she still gives him money. And I was like, and I, then now I'm even madder. Um, you know, and don't, don't get me wrong, this is not like a ruin my life. I mean, I wasn't like every day frustrated with this, but at this moment I was very frustrated and I went out and is whatever, you know, shaking my fist at God, how could this happen? And I just heard and I felt, not, not God's audible voice or anything like that, but I just felt she forgave him just like I forgave you. And I was just a little kid. And I was like, I was a teenager. And I was like overwhelmed. And through reason and through more movement of the Holy Spirit, I realized that Jimmy Swagger didn't deserve forgiveness, my grandmother's forgiveness for sure. And I most definitely didn't forgive God's forgiveness. And yet both of us had it. That's story number two. Story number three. Christine's dad died. This is not a clever title. He just died. Um, but this is, this is him, uh, Joseph Arthur LeBlanc. And that is a perfect representation of him other than a tuxedo. He did not wear tuxedos. Um, but <clears throat> this was at his uh, son's uh, wedding. Um, but anyway, he was, he was just like this, jovial, very happy, attended this church long, long ago. Um, and uh, and. Christine was a daddy's girl, all, I mean, for sure. They had her uh, later in life, and he was probably safe to say not as good a father to the older siblings as he was to Christine. Uh, he might even have spoiled Christine a little bit, um, you know, uh, a little too much. For, one, for instance, one thing, like he, he rarely, if ever, went to one of the older kids' games or events, and he never missed one of Christine's, and he was always the loudest, you know, that guy with the jug with the coins in it, shaking it, and you're like, just shut up. But that was him. He was just, he was that excited about his little girl. And, uh, you know, just an amazing guy, just, just very happy and jovial the, the time that I knew him. Um, and so one thing is that we would, uh, you know, when we got married, he always wanted a Lincoln town car. I don't know why anybody would want a Lincoln town car, but that's what he wanted. And so Chris, and he didn't have the money for one. So Christine and I rented one for the weekend. And so he got to chauffeur us around and drive us around in a Lincoln town car, um, you know, which, which brought him great joy. <clears throat> so we've been married, uh, we had been married about eight months or so. And his parent, her parents were gonna move from Melbourne over to uh, Winter Garden. So we, so we go over to help him move and we get to the door and Christine's mom opens the door and says, I can't find dad. 
he had gone to get boxes at a place that he volunteers at. And so we're going to, so Christine and I are like, we'll, we'll go find him. So we go and we go, we start driving and we start looking um, for him. Now, side note, there is an incredibly supernatural story that goes along with this. And it is awesome. Some of you have heard it, but I'm not gonna tell that story. Um, I'm just gonna tell the, the, the logistical part of the story. And so, um, so we look and we can't find him. And then her brother showed up later and they came and they, same story, they go out to look for him. And he had, he had pulled out of their driveway into the very first spot that he could. He pulled over and died. Um, and so the brothers call Christine, you know, while I'm there and delivered the news that they'd found uh, her dad um, dead. And it was, it was tough. Um, she... Anyway, I'm sure it was worse on her, but it was pretty hard for me too. Um, but just to see her deliver that news because he was so much to her and she was so much to him. Um, so they decide, um, you know, we just decided, we started, we just kept moving. I mean, that's all we could do. We just kept packing crap up and cry every 20 minutes and keep packing and those kind of things. And so they decided to ask Pastor Mark to do the funeral. Um, I didn't know Pastor Mark at the time. I'd heard of him. I've heard some stories, um, some hiking trip stories and some other terrifying events. Um, but, uh, but he did the funeral and he did an incredible job. I mean, it was, it was really wonderful. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to do. <clears throat> um, so anyway, we, uh, you know, we do the wedding and then so a week or so later, Christine says, can we just go back to Directions, which this church used to be called Directions, if you didn't know that. Um, can we just go to Directions and, and you know, see Pastor Mark and some of the people had come to the funeral. And so, uh, you know, and I, and I was like, no, we're not going there. No, no, we did. I was like, yes, let's go. <clears throat> and so we went and Pastor Mark wasn't even there. There was some young Scottish punk um, <laughs> leading worship and, uh, and he, he preached, I think it was, one of his, certainly one of his uh, first sermons. Um, but it was, I tell you, I was, I was moved. The worship was incredible. It was very purposed. I'd never like dialed in to worship like that, like worship with intent. Um, you know, I hadn't seen that grown up in a more traditional church. And, um, you know, although hymns are powerful, we did not leverage their power properly <laughs> in, those, in those churches. Um, and then also Peter preached, Pastor Peter preached. We just called him Peter back then. Um, so Pastor Peter preached, and uh, I have kind of an unusual ability to remember sermons, and so I remember this sermon very distinctly. And one of his uh, one of his main points, and you might still hear it on occasion, was geographical change can bring spiritual change. And so it was a great sermon. I was very moved. And then at the end, Pastor Peter said, "If anybody would like prayer, you know, come up." Well, in the Baptist church, that means it's time to go. You know, so I'm packing my stuff up, and and uh, you know we're. We're getting, we're getting ready, but Christine beelined down front. She made a beeline to the front and women gathered around her and prayed for her with passion and compassion and faith. And I was sitting in my seat just overwhelmed. And we have never been anywhere since, been here ever since. And that's, that's how I got here. And that's why I love this place so much. <clears throat> Next story. Wow, you're wrong a lot. Um, that's me, by the way. You're probably wrong a lot too, but in this story, I'm wrong. Um, so 
we, had, we were attending Northwest and I loved Northwest. I still do. Uh, just a phenomenal place to be, a father, a phenomenal area to gather together and, and be with fellow believers. Just, just incredible. Um, early on when we were here, uh, Pastor Peter's dad, um, Stuart Brunton, was kind of the apostolic, not kind of, he was the apostolic color, covering for the church. He was the one that sort of Pastor Mark was an authority under and, and looked to for guidance and, and wisdom. And, and, um, Stuart Brunton is, is one of my heroes. He's a, a phenomenal uh, person. Um, but when he passed away, one thing that I absolutely love about Pastor Mark is that he has this desire to be under authority. He is not out here trying to build some church that points to his greatness and those kind of things. He went and sought someone to be under authority to. And he ended up in Peru, Seems like a weird place to go, but he did. Um, and so he goes to Peru and Pastor Peter Hornin kind of becomes our apostolic covering and we go into the G12 um, movement. And this was a real struggle in my life at this point. Uh, I was working um, at a small Christian school, which was basically like my full-time ministry. So I was like in the ministry, yet I was just a teacher and I was attending a church that I was passionate about. Now, for those of you who are here for G12, move the G12 stuff, it was, there's great things about G12 and I am not gonna knock it on in any way because it was an awesome time and there were some many great things that went on. But it was very demanding of your time if you were gonna be fully involved. You know, if you were gonna be fully involved, it, had to, it, it was going to take a lot of time. And I was very concerned that I would not be able to do both, that I would not be able to participate here and do the thing that I was doing at that time as my ministry. And it was, it was a burden because, you know, I came to church to, to worship, to learn, to have fellowship, and, and to be a part of the body of believers. And so for me, this was a whole new level of, of requirement. And it was a challenge. And then the second thing that was a big struggle for me is at the time I considered the teachings very, and this might sound arrogant or whatever, but very elementary. Uh, they were very basic, and uh, and and that was and those two things became a challenge for me. And so I was actually considering leaving Northwest for a little while during this time, and it was very painful because I loved Northwest, loved Pastor Mark and Pastor Peter and their families, and and it was it was a heavy burden um, for me. And so, so I was like, well, you know, at least I'm going to investigate. So we decide. So there there was a, a G12 conference in Miami. Um, and so like, let's go to, we'll go to the conference and I'll learn all I can and, and it'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. So I go to, we go to this G12 conference, we get there and the whole thing's in Spanish. So, I mean, Spanish is a beautiful language and all, but I don't understand it. So it wasn't that enlightening to me. It wasn't that uh, educational. Uh, we had blast just because if you go anywhere with this group of people, you're gonna have fun. But, but that was not the reason I went. So Pastor Mark and I went to Quiznos for lunch one day. And we, we go to Quiznos and Pastor Mark, and, I'm, and I start sharing this with him, my, my, this burden that I'm carrying. And, uh, you know, and, and I had never, not really shared it with anybody. Um, and so I was, I was sharing with him for the first time. And another, so one of my fundamental beliefs that is right, I was right, just for, just for the record. Um, <laughs> one of my fundamental beliefs that is if you know and have been revealed a truth of the gospel, any truth, it is enough to sustain you. 
It is enough. If you understand, if you have a revelation of the cross or a revelation of who Jesus is, it is enough to sustain you. My youth pastor growing up used to say, you cannot encounter Christ and walk away the same. And I believe that. I believe that the fundamental truths are what sustain us and what get us through challenging times in our life, pain points in our life, um, and those type of situations. And so Pastor Mark was like, well, tell me about your, your parents. I'm like, okay. So I tell him about my parents, awesome parents, I've already been through that. Um, and he says, well, if your ter- parents told you something, did you believe them? And I was like, absolutely. My parents are the most honest people, um, the most truthful people that I've, that I've ever met. You played golf with my dad and he reaches over to miss a, to tap in a three inch putt and misses it, he counts the stroke. I don't do that. Um, but, but anyway, so I, my parents, I 100% trust. And then there's no doubt about it. He goes, he goes, that's what you have that most people don't. Most people do not know their parents did not tell them the truth and so they cannot absorb the truth. He goes, most people, and this is what he said, and this has stayed with me ever since. He said, most people need healing before they can hear the truth. And mind blown in Quiznos in a city I don't particularly like. It was awesome. And so, so I'm still here, thankfully. Um, so those are all my stories. So now you're like, why are you telling all these stories? I mean, hopefully they're at least entertaining, if nothing else. But, so here's the reasons we tell stories. The, the, in Philippians, the, the scripture that we read, to exalt his name. That's the reason that we tell stories. That's the reason we tell this story and that's the reason I'm telling this story. The second one is to offer hope. Pastor Peter, in the first week that we talked about telling our story was, um, he said, quoted out of Revelation where it says, they overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So to offer hope is another reason that we tell our story. And I believe a third reason, I mean, there's plenty of reasons, but if you stick with these, you'll be all right. <clears throat> is that is the evidence, it is the fruit of us working out our own salvation uh, with fear and trembling. Um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes this thing is hard. A lot of times it's hard. It's like, you know, I can't, I, I can't hear from God. I don't understand. I can't even do my devotions faithfully. I can't be the person that God wants me to be. I can't seem to get close to God. These are the struggles. And uh, even before this, um, Micah was back talking to the band about doing the next thing, doing the next thing. And always, has, is the ne- have you done the last thing is a question that he asked. And so that's the same question I'm asking you. Have you not been able to move to the next thing because you haven't appreciated and observed and applied your heart to the last thing? Maybe you're struggling to get close to God is based on the fact that you didn't have a dad that came running when you're in trouble or when you're in the dark or when you're afraid or when you're alone. Well, I tell you something, there is a father that's available for that, that God will come running. He won't always chase the bad guy away, but he will be there. He will be there. Um, and maybe you didn't have an amazing grandmother that showed you how to forgive the, that which is unforgivable. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need um, to move on so that you can forgive someone so that you can go to that next step. That's, that's the most basic step and yet seems to be the most difficult. Maybe you're stuck in the pain of a tragedy rather than seeing how God has providentially placed you where you are. Rather than 
You know, you're, you're, you're buried in the pain of something. And so you've missed this opportunity to see that God has providentially uh, moved in your life. Maybe you can't discover the truth because those that were supposed to tell you the truth planted seeds of doubt. Or maybe you need healing so that you can begin to experience the truth, a truth that will last, a truth that will sustain. So I encourage you to look for God's direction throughout your life. Don't stop looking for the way he moved, the way he um, adjusted your life and your path for silly things from running from some crazy kid with an ax to an incredible grandmother to incredible, incredible parents. Um, it's funny, I, all these stories, none of these stories are newer than 19 years, you know, it's 19 years ago was the last story I told. I still have the most incredible part of my life, my marriage, my kids, participating in this ministry. Those are all, that's still being woven, this, this thing, me working out my salvation with fear and trembling, as is yours. <clears throat> but this is what I would ask, is that God, in Philippians 2.13, it said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's what this is for. That's what our story is for, is for his good pleasure. So if you are struggling with one of those, if you need, I just, if I, I haven't been able to forgive or I haven't appreciated the providential hand of God in my life, I haven't, I'm stuck in this tragic event or this tragic time of my life. It's time. It's time to, to go to the next step and to accept this incredible truth that God has for us. If you'll stand with me, I'll pray, and we will be done. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible grace. Father, that you weave our lives in a path that is for your glory and your renown, Lord, and, and we screw it up a lot, and we're wrong a lot, and we hold on to things that we shouldn't, and we can't really do the things that we're supposed to do. And yet you have saved us, Father. You have given us your son and he carries the weight and he carries the burden, Lord. So I just pray that right now that you would begin to allow us, to cause us to think and to dwell on you, on how you have moved in our life. Not so that we can stay in the past, but so that we can move towards the future, towards you, to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, we ask that you would help us to love you more in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone.